You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our guys at MyBookie, where you can create a brand new account at MyBookie.ag using the promo code UGA, and they will double your first deposit. There is no better deal out there when it comes to sports books, so make sure to take advantage of this offer while you still can. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And you guys know the drill. I'm your host, Tyler, and this is a, it's a weird week, guys. It's a bye week, which means we have no game to preview. And to be perfectly honest, that left me wondering if I was going to even do a Wednesday night episode like I do every week during the season. You know, I love doing this podcast, guys. I love doing this podcast. We've been doing this for, I think this is the seventh year. I lose track. I think this is year seven. We'll see. Started in 2015. No, this is year eight. Wow, completely losing count. This is year eight. So I've been doing it for a while now, and I love it. I love talking Georgia football. I love talking college football. This is what I live for. This is what I'm all about. But saying that, as much as I do love it, I mean, it is a grind for all of us, for Charlie, for myself, for Curtis during the season. It's it's a lot of work, and outside the weekend, there's really no downtime for us. So I was kind of looking forward to just taking a day off during the week, which is not something I get to do during the season very often. But then uh, thinking about that, I was like, nah, man, I I can't do that. I can't do that. I got the guilty conscience. I felt like I was letting you guys down. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want anyone to be looking for an episode and it not be there. I know that sucks because I've been there with podcasts that I've listened to in the past. So once I decided I needed to do this episode, The next step, of course, is to figure out, okay, well, we're doing an episode, so what are we going to talk about? What angle am I going to take? What topic are we going to talk about with no game to preview? And uh, thinking about that, based on some of the questions that we got this week, a lot of the questions we got this week on social media, especially, as you might imagine, after Tennessee upsetting Alabama, it seemed like you guys might be interested in me giving you a quick preview of each game, at least each SEC game down the stretch run as we try to fend off Tennessee and end up winning the SEC East. I'm not going to go hardcore into numbers on this one. I might throw a few numbers at you here and there. There's going to be a time for all that while I go in far more detail with that. I'm going to do that with each of the official preview episodes for each of these games over the next month and a half or so. 
But like you guys, I've watched each of these teams play several times now. And I think I have a pretty good feel for, for them and, and who they are and how we match up. So I thought you might enjoy me sharing my initial thoughts about each of those games. How dangerous each team is, what they do well, what they do poorly, how we match up, all that good stuff. So that is what I am here to do today. And with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, yeah, I said it, I will always call it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, that's ridiculous that that was ever a thing that we shouldn't call it that, but with that game on deck after the bye week against the Florida Gators, let's go ahead and start there. So most of you, when you were watching the Alabama-Tennessee game, and you saw Tennessee go about 28-10 on Alabama, and score seemed like at will almost against Alabama in that game, and just hit big play after big play, like the rest of the world, a lot of you were thinking, oh my God, like your minds went, are we going to beat Tennessee? Like is Tennessee going to win the SEC East? Are they going to be the one that dethrones us this year sooner than we all thought? And I'm not going to say I didn't have any of those thoughts, but to be perfectly real with you, my first thought went to this game, the Florida game. I immediately became immensely worried that the Florida game just became a trap game with Tennessee beating Alabama the way they did. And the, and the likelihood at this point, we'll see what happens with Tennessee and Kentucky. Kentucky looked better, as we'll get to later on the episode, against Mississippi State last week at home. But, I mean, Tennessee gets Kentucky at home. Tennessee's a better football team. They should win that game. So there's a very, very realistic chance that we both enter that matchup in Athens on November 5th undefeated. And that game is de facto for the SEC East title, a shot to get in the SEC championship game, and probably to keep your playoff hopes alive. And then... On top of that, later that night, Florida loses at home to LSU, a, a decent, a solid, a good-ish LSU team, but certainly not an elite LSU team this year. And so all that kind of combines to create a situation where, like, are we really staring at a situation where Florida, our number one rival, has now become a trap game leading into Tennessee? And I think the answer is 100%. Absolutely, this has become a trap game. You know, if there's one single game that Billy Napier circled on that schedule when he got this job, absolutely it was the Georgia game. Of course it's the Georgia-Florida game. If I don't want to say if they lost every other game but beat us, that would be a great season. That's not the case, but it would certainly make things a lot easier for, for him dealing with the fan base. They want to win this football game. Of course, every team wants to win this football game or win a football game, but it takes on extra added importance when you're talking about a Florida team that comes into this matchup with three losses already. They're not really playing for anything other than maybe getting a decent bowl. Maybe they can try to get into a New Year's Day bowl. That's probably out of the question at this point. With where this Florida team currently sits at four and three, I do not think it's a stretch to say this game is their season. Like that's what this is for them. A chance to play your number one rival who just happens to be ranked number one, and oh yeah, by the way, is still the defending national champion. And then you look at our side of things, and you wonder, okay, well our players, I mean, are they going to be that jacked up to play a Florida team that just fired their coach last year, got a new coach, they're 4-3 and three in year one under Billy Napier, and you got Tennessee on deck, who the entire college football watching world is just drooling over right now and a team that people are kind of already penciling in as the team that's going to represent the East in the ICC title game in December and get a rematch with Alabama. Are the eyes of our players and the minds of our players now on that game and overlooking Florida? With all of these ingredients, guys, this game against Florida now, in my mind, clearly has classic trap game written all over it. Now, saying that, Trap games are something that fans like to put a lot of stock in and talk about. People like me who run podcasts, we talk about these things because we've seen teams slip up in spots like this. It's not like it's unprecedented. It happens. There's a reason the term trap game is actually a thing. 
games like this happen. The better team gets upset when they're looking ahead to what is perceived as a bigger game, a bigger threat immediately down the road. But Kirby Smart has built a really good culture within our program. He talks all the time about playing to the standard, right? It's never about your opponent. It's about every game you go out there and you just try to play to your standard. You try to meet your expectations. It's not about the opponent. That's how you kind of resist playing down to opponents, which let's be real. I love Mark Rick, but we, we did play down to opponents far too often, especially in the latter years of the Mark Rick era. And that's not unique to Mark Rick. A lot of teams do that. But our culture is such that we have largely avoided these trap game situations over the past three to four years, really since 2017. I know you can say Missouri was, I don't think that was really a classic trap game. We just played poorly in that game. They were fired up and we played poorly. Don't really think that was really a trap game. I don't know who we were looking forward to playing. I guess you could maybe say Auburn. Auburn's not good. So I don't really think that was necessarily a trap game. But Kirby has done a really good job over the past five or so years of of keeping our guys focused and avoiding these letdown spots where like you would traditionally see a team maybe uh, not be as focused in one of these games and fall victim to a trap game situation. But I'm a fan. You're a fan. It's what fans do. We worry about these kind of things. And I am extremely worried about this right now. In fact, I'm far more worried about that currently than I am about Tennessee. I'll get to Tennessee. I'm thinking about Tennessee. I can't sit here and tell you with a straight face that I'm not even remotely thinking about that game and that team. Yeah, I am. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm thinking far more about the Florida Gators right now and the possibility of this game being one that could trip us up if we do not take it seriously and we do not come out laser focused and treat this game with the respect that it deserves. Because I'll tell you what, Florida is going to. They're going to treat this game with the respect it deserves. And if we don't, they are good enough at spots. There's enough talent for them to pull the upset. But getting into this Florida Gators football team a little bit, it's a very inconsistent team, as you might imagine, with a 4-3 and record going into their bye week. But especially on offense. Defensively, they kind of are what they are from game to game. I mean, they're okay. They're fine. Average. That's what they are. But offensively, they've had these highs, but they've also had these lows. I mean, if you look at some of the, the better games, so you had 451 yards against Utah, a, a good Utah team in week one, 595, almost 600 against Tennessee. But then you follow up that 451 against Utah. The next week, you put up 279 against Kentucky at home. You follow up almost 600 yards against Tennessee with 293 at home against Missouri. So this team is up and down, man. There are highs and there are lows. And I think the reason you see this from the team and their offense in particular is because of Anthony Richardson. I think that's really what it comes down to offensively for them. Because this guy himself is up and and down. And the offense is an embodiment of what Anthony Richardson is as a player right now. He is extraordinarily gifted, guys. A very physically talented player. Everything that everyone was saying about him, gushing about him after week one against Utah, it's not wrong and say this guy's really talented and he's a playmaker. The guy is talented and he can make plays, but that's not who he is on a consistent basis. Some weeks, like like against Tennessee, whose defense is not great, he looks like a Heisman Trophy contender. He does. Some weeks. But then the very next week, he'll turn around and it'll look like this guy shouldn't be starting for an FCS team. Like, that's how bad it is. Like, are we sure this guy should even be starting for a high school football team? I mean, they had 453 yards passing against Tennessee, 392 against Eastern Washington. Obviously, Anthony Richardson is a big part of that. But then, again, you come to Missouri, 66 yards passing, guys. 66 yards passing against Missouri at home. 143 yards passing against Kentucky at home. 112 yards passing against South Florida, a bad G5 team at home. This is why their offense is inconsistent because the engine of their offense, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, is inconsistent, highly inconsistent himself. The Florida offense goes as Anthony Richardson goes. And 
the big part of that is they are very average at the skill positions outside of him from a talent standpoint. They just don't have a ton of legitimate playmakers. I mean, Justin Shorter is probably their best playmaker out wide, and that guy, I mean, I don't he wouldn't start for us. And we have and we've been even we've been banged up at receiver. I don't think that Justin Shorter would start for us. I mean, how many teams in the SEC does Justin Shorter start for? I mean, seriously, how many teams does he start for? And this guy is their number one option at wide receiver. They're just average at the skill positions outside of Anthony Richardson. And Richardson himself, I still would say, is average. That's what he is. When you when you factor in the highs and lows, it comes out as average. That's I mean, that you just don't know. You might you might get those highs, but you never know. You might get one of those lows on any given Saturday. But he does have home run ability. Okay. So if you watch the LSU game, he opened that game their first drive with a long touchdown pass. I think it was like a fifty one yard or something like that. It's a beautiful ball. I mean, he's he's got talent, guys. Like he can do it. He can make those plays. A beautiful, gorgeous deep ball on a dime to Justin Shorter for a touchdown to open that game. I was like, Oh man, Florida might run away with this one early. And then LSU kind of caught back up and he couldn't replicate that it was like a, a one-time play in that game at least from a passing game perspective and but then later in the game he also broke off I think it was an 81 yard an 80 plus yard touchdown run and it was a, it was a dynamic run breaking tackles spinning off people I mean the guy has the physical tools there's zero question about that he just he doesn't ever consistently put it together I think a big part of it is it gets into his head it really does I I really believe that this guy has confidence issues, and when when he doesn't have success early on, and I, that's why I thought against LSU they're going to run away with the game. It's usually when he has success early on, like he gets confident, he believes, and like he gets rolling. But he had that big play, and then he had some plays after that 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 were like, dude, what what are you doing? And he lost that confidence, and it kind of just snowballs. And you see that game in and game out with this guy. Like if he's just rolling, things are going great, then he's he can be pretty good. He can be really good. But make a couple mistakes early, and he just kind of goes into a shell, man. Um, he does. But with that home run ability, he gives that threat, right? He gives that threat to just hit that big play and keep them in the game, take the lead. You got to be careful. You just don't know what kind of game it's going to be. You just got to hope it's not one of his like random really good games where he's feeling good. But they have enough talent, guys. As I said, they have enough talent if we overlook them to beat us, even though they're pretty average at most of the skill positions on offense. Anthony Richardson does have that ability to elevate their offense if he's having one of those games. Defensively, as I said, I mean, they're fine. They're okay. Um, Not very good, actually. They've given up over 400 yards in five of their seven games. They just gave up 378 yards passing to an LSU pass game that has been largely anemic most of this season. They are just lacking playmakers on that side of the ball, too. Britton Cox can be a playmaker. He thinks he is. He thinks he's the biggest playmaker in the history of college football. That's what he thinks of himself as much as that guy talks. You guys know how many sacks he has on the year? A whopping two. A whopping two. And that's surprising for a guy who just pins his ear back and runs wildly after quarterbacks almost every single snap. He is the most selfish player I have seen in a long time playing college football. He does not play team defense. He does not care about his team. All he, he says he cares. I don't care about my team. I play hard for my team. And when he wants to, he does play hard. He just it's, it's almost like Jadavion Clowney. Like when he wants to play and uh, he's feeling it on a, on a given snap, he'll play hard on that snap and he's tough to stop. But that's not consistent. He'll take plays off too. And that's just what he's done his entire career. That's who Brent Cox is. He's done a better job of not taking as many plays off this year, but he still does from time to time. But, I mean, he's a guy that just kind of with reckless abandon wants to make the play. He wants eyes on him. He wants to be the guy that gets the sack, tackle for loss, and he gets out of position. He opens up running lanes, and he hurts his team. He hurts his team. 
And then Jervon Dexter, the defensive tackle, is a really good player on the interior there of the defensive line. He's a former five-star guy. He's a, he's a good player. He's very, very good. I would call him a, a borderline playmaker. But honestly, guys, outside of those two guys, I don't think there's anyone on that defense right now that you would classify as a playmaker. I mean, Trey Dean? <laughs> Trey Dean, really? I mean, dear God, it's hard to imagine Trey Dean's actually still starting for an SEC football team. That is that is the kind of trouble they're in on the defensive side of the ball from a personnel standpoint. So to sum up Florida here real quick, this is a team that absolutely we should beat. This team should not be much of an obstacle for us. We are far more talented. We are far better coached. Our culture is far more established. We have more playmakers. We are better defensively. We're better offensively. We're better really in every phase of this game. But I do think that this is a trap game situation. And you couple that with the fact that Anthony Richardson, while inconsistent, wildly inconsistent, still has that playmaking home running ability that could potentially change a game. I do have some concerns, at least more concerns than I had even like a week ago. A week ago, seriously, I was not thinking about this game in those terms, but after what we saw transpire with Tennessee and Alabama and how the entire world's freaked out about that Tennessee football team, I mean, you got what? Ticket prices in the upper levels, 300 levels going for, I saw Saturday night, $1,200 a pop. I mean, people have lost their minds over this game, this Tennessee team. So in light of that, I, there is certainly some concern on my part with the way this game sets up, how Florida's going to approach it, and just the questions about how our guys are going to approach it. I'm putting a lot of faith in Kirby Smart to have our guys ready. And I believe that he probably will because he does on a relatively consistent basis, but I'm a fan just like you guys. And what do we do? Fans worry. And guys, we have plenty more to talk about. We've got Tennessee to talk about, Mississippi State, Kentucky. But before we get to all those teams, I do want to just again remind you about our guys at MyBookie. Guys, MyBookie has been good to me for a long time. I've been using them as my sports book of choice for, I mean, probably a decade at this point. And I've stuck with them so long because I have no reason to even consider going anywhere else. And before I I found MyBookie, I tried some different sports books and they were fine. They were okay. But there was always something that I didn't like about those different sports books. But my bookie, once I settled on them, like I found my place. And they have never let me down. Easy deposits, easy fast withdrawals, the best lines, a number of different betting options. They even like during the Thanksgiving, you guys will see this. During the Thanksgiving week, they're gonna have a bunch of different deals going on where basically they're giving away free money. It's like the most obvious bets in the history of the world. It's like you'll have like a game where it's like does Giannis and Tetacumpo from the Milwaukee Bucks does he score a basket? And if you bet yes, you win money. So they do things like that during the holiday season and no one else does things like that. They just treat you right. They treated me right and they're going to treat you right as well. So if you haven't already, guys, there's plenty of time. We still have half the season left. We have all the bowl season, plenty of time to bet on some teams and to, and to make some money, line those pockets. So go ahead today and sign up at mybookie.ag using the promo code UGA, which is exclusive to you guys, our listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. And they will hook you up with a 100% deposit bonus on that initial deposit when you sign up for a new account. So make sure to do that today, guys. Again, promo code UGA at mybookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, guys, let's keep this train rolling. And let's get to the game that everybody wants to talk about. This is the game. To be quite honest with you, this is the game that I got a lot of questions about on social media, on email, over the past, what, three to four days. Got some questions about the Florida game as well, and even a question or two about Kentucky and Mississippi State. But as you guys can easily figure out, Tennessee was the talk of the town, right? This is what everyone was wanting to know about. This is what everyone was asking me about. So let's go ahead and move in that direction. I'm trying to resist, as I told you guys when I was talking about Florida, I'm trying to resist having my attention on this Tennessee game. I know that what I do as a fan, I know intellectually that it does not matter. I know deep down in my brain, I'm not a smart man, but I'm also not a complete and utter idiot. I know that the way I'm looking at games does not really rub off on the players because I have no interaction with the players. But I can't help but be superstitious and feel like it does. And I think maybe in some way, like if the entire fan base collectively, all we're doing on social media is talking about Tennessee and we're ignoring Florida completely. I mean, you got you know our, our players are on social media. They see that. I think they internalize that to a degree. So actually, I think in some way, it kind of does matter-ish, kind of. Uh, the coaches matter far more. I understand that. But I mean, it's out there and players see that stuff. So I'm trying my best to resist looking all the way at this game, but it is tough. It is tough. Again, the ticket's going for... 1200 bucks and 300 level right now. Obviously, that means this game is a big deal. I mean, honestly, it might end up being if both teams, if, big if, we got to do our part, they got to do their part. If both teams end up undefeated, matching up inside Sanford Stadium on November 5th, I think you make a very strong argument. It's the biggest game in Sanford Stadium in my life. In my life, I'm 36 years old, guys. In my lifetime, I'm mean, trying to think the Notre Dame game a couple years ago was a big game, but I don't think it would have the stakes at this point in the season that a game against Tennessee, an undefeated Tennessee team, undefeated Georgia team would have. I know that the blackout Alabama game where we got blacked out, there's a lot of buildup there, but I think this would be bigger. Was it the 2015 Alabama game? Was, when that was the torrential downpour, there was a lot of buildup to that game, but I think this is bigger. I mean, I don't know. There's uh, Some of you have been around longer than me, and you, I'm sure you have a game in mind, but as far as I can think, I don't know, I'm trying not to get caught up in the moment, but I think you can at least make the argument that this might be the biggest game in the past 30, 40 years inside Sanford Stadium. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. If, if, again, if we're not there yet, we got to be Florida, if we book they're undefeated. And with this Tennessee team, I'm not surprised that they are good. Let me look at my preseason picks here. I had Tennessee going 9-3. and three. I had them losing to LSU on the road. I thought it would be a night game in Baton Rouge, and I was wrong about that. I don't know if it would have mattered, but had them losing that game. I was wrong. Had them lose to Alabama. I was wrong. It was close to being right, but I was wrong. And I had them losing to us. Those are the three games I had Tennessee losing. So I thought Tennessee was going to be good. I told you guys in the preseason, there was an episode I did back in July where I was ranking the 
each game on the schedule by difficulty, and I had Tennessee number three, not number one, not number two, because of the fact that the game was at home, and both Mississippi State and Kentucky were on the road to end the season, to end basically a brutal stretch to, to, the, to end the year. But I told you on that episode that even though I had them at number three in the most difficult game rankings, I thought Tennessee would be the best team that we would play in the regular season. That is proving to be correct, but they are still far better than even I thought that they would be. They are. They're just better than I thought they would be. They have more weapons this year. They have a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who is kind of like Stetson Bennett. He's in his second full, his, his second year. I guess Stetson's been around for longer, but I mean, he was a starter for most of last year, but he, did, he wasn't the starter in the offseason. He transferred in from Virginia Tech, won the job uh, a couple games into the season, and Stetson kind of did a similar thing. Stetson had been around in the program for longer, but he did not enter 2021 as a starter. He got that job a couple games in the season and then played the rest of the way en route to a national title, but first full year, first full offseason as a starter, and we've seen that with Stetson. Stetson's improved. Stetson's taken a step forward, and you've seen that from Hendon Hooker as well. So this is a team that's better, and they're more explosive than they were last year. They averaged about four. They were top 10 nationally in offense last year. They were almost 480 yards a game. This year, they're number one right now. They're number one. They're actually averaging more yards per game than, than even Ohio State is. So this is a, an explosive, dangerous offense that is going to give every team they play problems that includes us but it's it's kind of how they do it that makes them difficult to defend what they try to do and we'll talk about this a lot more in detail when we get to this game in a couple of weeks it's coming guys i trust me it's coming i just want to give you some early thoughts right now they put a ton of pressure on a defense with two things it's really two things guys i boil it down to two things at least spacing and tempo it's those two things that make them so difficult to defend. They space the field with as wide of wide receiver splits as you can possibly get. Watch them play, guys. I know you've watched them play, but pay attention if you haven't. I'm sure you've seen this, but if you haven't, their receivers are about as close to the sideline, like the, the white chalk, the out-of-bounds marker, as you can possibly be without being out-of-bounds. And of course, what that does has the effect of forcing the defense to also spread out very wide. And the reason that's so effective and it makes their offense so difficult to deal with is that it's a number of things, but it first off limits the ability for a defense to provide help over the top to individual defenders. Defenders are forced to operate more on an island because they're so far spread out. The, the potential help has further to go to get to you, to help you, because they have their own men to cover, right? So that makes it really, really hard to get help, and then creates more one-on-one opportunities for these Tennessee receivers who are highly fat, highly talented. They're very fast. They're gifted receivers, great athletes. And then on top of that, you have tempo, which forces the defense to simplify because it's hard to get plays in that quickly when they're going as fast as they are on offense and also keeps defenders on the field without subbing and gets those guys worn out. And then they can just gash you for a big play. And, on, and then on top of that, again, as I mentioned, you have a bunch of speedy wide receivers to just run by people. You add all that together, throw into a bowl, mix it up, and you've got a problem. You've got a problem when you're a defensive coordinator. And they are, guys, they are very, very good offensively and very, very dangerous. I have a lot of respect for this Tennessee team, especially this Tennessee offense. It's indisputable how good they are on offense. You can't really argue it at this point. But saying that, while I, I do know a lot of people out there around the country are just, like I mentioned earlier, already penciling in a Bama-Tennessee rematch in the title game and just acting like that's a foregone conclusion, let let them do that. But let's not overreact, okay? Let's not, like, they're good. They're very, very, very good. 
But let's also not make them out to be something that they are not, which I think a lot of people are doing that right now. They're, they're, people are trying to make it out to be that Tennessee is a, they're inevitable. Like, like they're Thanos, right? They are inevitable. And that there's no way they're going to stop this offense. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Now, there's a couple of reasons I don't believe that. First off, if you're using the Alabama game as your measuring stick, I would caution you against that. I know, yeah, they, they were awesome, man. Like 600 yards of offense, 52 points against Alabama. With all that talent Alabama has on defense, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Henry Toto, all these names that you hear people bandy about all the time. I know that you look at that and you say, well, yeah, I mean, like, dude, like, if Bama can't stop him, how in the world is, is Georgia going to stop him? Well, guys, I mean, let's go back to that game. I mean, can we not all admit that Bama came out with a borderline unforgivable defensive game plan? I still don't know what they were doing. I guess on, on some level, they're probably thinking, what because what, what they did is that they came out and played heavy zone coverage for big portions of that game to open the game and, and stuck with it way too long, and they got roasted, man. This is very foreign for Bama. You're so used to seeing Bama teams, even with Kirby Smart there, play that that tough press man coverage in your face stuff and, and force them to beat you off the line of scrimmage and get physical with them. They weren't doing any of that. Like they were doing very little of that early in that game for large portions of that game. They're getting these guys free releases. And I know they do a lot of stack sets, which makes it hard to get hands on guys, but they weren't even trying guys. They were not even trying. They were just dropping back in these soft zone coverages and they were getting absolutely burned on it because you can play a zone coverage, but the zone coverage event, because they play a lot of pattern match, which is zone coverage where you have man principles. So if a, if a, receiver comes in your area yeah you're playing a zone but if a receiver comes into your zone you play them man and that's what they were doing a lot of early in the game kind of the best it's ideally it's supposed to be like the best of both worlds but when Jalen Hyatt who went for 200 plus on on Alabama the biggest game of his career by far when he would come into the zone of the safeties they were playing him in in like a matchup zone in this pattern match scheme and they, they just couldn't run with him. It's, it's that simple, guys. It took them way too long to adjust to that. And I think that when they tried to bring pressure, they did too much coming off the edges, which makes sense because their best pass rushers on that Alabama team are edge rushers, guys like Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. But when you come off the edge and try to pressure Hendon Hooker like that, what you do, especially these guys that really go wild trying to rush the passer, kind of with reckless abandon at times, you create natural running lanes, escape routes, and he is athletic enough to burn you when you do that. And Hendon Hooker did that a couple of times. So to, for Hendon Hooker, you got to pressure him from the interior. That That's how you get that guy. That's where he's uncomfortable. So the defensive game plan, I thought, was just flat out garbage. I'm just to be honest with you guys, flat out freaking garbage. I know that Tennessee's good. I know that they're hard to defend. It's hard to have a game that's completely shut them down. I don't know if there's a game plan that will completely shut that offense down. But man, that just wasn't it. That was not it from Pete Golding and company. And I think you can't deny that defense. It took a hit when Kirby left. They're still a really good defense. I mean, obviously all year they've been one of the best defenses in the country. They have not fallen off the cliff. They're still really good because it's Alabama and they have really, really good players. But they don't have as many good players. They're not as deep as they once were because we're taking a lot of those players. Kirby's taking a lot of those players that they used to get, right? And from a game planning standpoint, I know people, it's a very popular narrative out there in the college world to jack like Kirby Smart, just a recruiter. It still is. It still is. Even at the national title, I still hear people talking about, well, Kirby's not really an X's and O's, guys. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? When I hear people say that, you lose all credibility in my mind. They have no freaking idea what they're talking about when people just spout off the mouth about that kind of crap. No, ridiculous. Kirby is an elite defensive mind. He has been for a long, long time. 
He's adaptable. He's willing to adapt to his personnel. He doesn't stay stacked in his defensive schemes. Guys, I mean, our defensive schemes have changed so much, even since he's just been here in Athens, because he keeps up with what offenses are doing. He's willing to change, to adapt. He's not one of those hard-headed coaches. I've been doing this way for 30 years. I'm going to do it this way for the next 30 years. No, he, he keeps up with the times. He changes things. He innovates. And Pete Golding at Alabama is just not that. I know Bama fans like want to call him Little Kirby. Thought he was the next in line for a while. They were saying, "Oh yeah, he's better than Kirby." Nah, man, no, <laughs> just no, just no, not at all. But yeah, I mean, defensively they set back in that zone for far too long. Didn't even try to get hands on receivers, and they do make it tough with their stack sets. But you got to at least try, right? Try some different things, and they just they didn't. They didn't really have an answer there. And I will say Tennessee does get the ball out very quickly. And um, that that makes it harder, but you have that undisciplined pass rush off the edges that creates those rush lanes for Hooker to gash you. So that it kind of neutralizes. If you think about it, like what does Bama do really well on defense? Where are their best players? They're on the edges, right? Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, those guys. Well, when you have an offense that's set up the way that they are and a quarterback that can hurt you the way that he can, taking off up the middle, it kind of neutralizes your pass rushers, which is are your edge rushers, which is what Bama does really well on defense. They're not great in the secondary. I mean, Kool-Aid McKintree is a good cornerback. Uh, outside of that, I mean, they're they're good-ish in the secondary. They're better than most teams because it's Bama, but they're not elite. Those aren't the same guys they've had in the back end in the years past. I mean, battle on Helms at safety, not even close. That's Those guys are, I mean, they're good relative to the rest of the country, but they're not like traditional vintage Bama athletes at safety. They're just not. And all that, get, and they're very average inside linebackers as well. I mean, Henry Toto, Jalen Moody, I mean, average, 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 average. And all of that gets exposed when Will Anderson and Dallas Turner cannot wreak havoc on the passer, which they were not able to do. I mean, there's times that game I'm sitting there, I'm like, is, I mean, I knew he was playing, but just kind of asked rhetorically, is Will Anderson even out there? Is Will Anderson even playing? Like, this guy just bothered to show up at all today? And the answer is no. Like, he, he didn't. He was there. Didn't do much, though. But I think that we match up better with Tennessee. And let me explain why. Number one, we do not rely, like Alabama does, on dynamic edge rushers to win and be effective on defense. That is why Alabama puts us a lot of stock on guys. That's what they do really well on defense. Outside of that, they're not, I mean, they're fine on the interior. They've got some good players. They're very good. They're not elite on the interior of the defensive line. Inside linebackers, average at best. Um, safeties, good, good players, but they're not elite athletes. Cooley McKinstry is a really good cornerback. Um, Branch, Moore, those guys got burned all day long. I mean, those guys—they're good players, but they're not—they're not elite players. They're just not. I—I I, will—I will stand on that hill. Which leads me to my next point. I think we are better, clearly better, significantly better in our back end, safety, at corner, at star. We are better in the back end. We are more athletic at safety. Malachi Starks is far more athletic than anyone that Alabama had at safety, primarily Helms in battle, um, and Chris Smith is not equal to. Starks in his athleticism, but I think he's a little bit more athletic potentially than Battle and Helms were. And he's also, I just think he's a better player, to be honest. With you. I, think, I just think he's a better player. We are better and I, honestly much more athletic and inside linebacker than Alabama is. And if, I know this is a big if, we do not know what's going to happen here, but if we get Jalen Carter back, I think that's a big difference maker in this game. It's a difference maker in any game, but in this game in particular, it's a big deal. And I say that because Hendon Hooker, what gives him trouble. If you watch these games closely, he really he does not struggle with edge pressure because that creates lanes for him to take off and just make plays with his legs. He wa- it's almost like he wants you to try to rush from the edges because he's just going to take off and you can't get him. He's too fast, too athletic. What he struggles with is pressure in his face. Watch the guy scramble. 
Where is he scrambling? He's scrambling up the middle of the defense because those rushing lanes are created. When you get pressure in his face, the guy kind of panics. He doesn't have those escape routes. And that's when he makes mistakes. That's when he threw that one interception. And Jalen Carter clearly gives us that interior pass rush. We can still kind of get some of that, but like especially like Warren Brinson, and we can rush our inside linebackers from the interior. But Carter is the key to that. We really, really need to get him healthy for that game. I love to have him back for Florida. He's a difference maker in any game, but I think he's a even bigger difference maker. Could change the game, change the the dynamic of how we defend at Tennessee if he is able to play in that game. And then on top of that, of course, I don't think you can discount the home field advantage in that game and the fact that it's the Tennessee offense that will be the one having to contend with crowd noise and not our offense, right? I think it was a big deal. I mean, how many penalties did Alabama have? Just delay games, false starts, and just out of sorts. Bryce Young having to call timeouts and try and get the snap off just as the play clock's running out and they they just seem like they don't know what's going on. That's not going to be us. That's going to be more Tennessee because they're the ones they're going to have to contend with that crowd noise. And then offensively, I really like what I've seen from our team recently and uh, what we're trying to do schematically from an offensive standpoint. I really do believe, as I've said a couple times in the past couple weeks, that you're starting to see signs of us going back to our roots, running the football, establishing the run, do it with physicality, work play action off that. You saw Stetson when we ran for almost 300 against Auburn. You saw Stetson work from under center more, which we haven't done a ton of this year. We really have not. So, and that's, you know, play action is more effective when you work from under center typically. And Stetson's better from under, from under center working that play action. And I think that's important for us in playing Tennessee. I know statistically Tennessee is good against the run. They're very bad against the pass. So clearly we're going to have to throw the football. But I think establishing the run, being willing to run the football is going to help us create opportunities to hit explosive plays in the passing game. And it's also going to be important for us to control the clock. You want to keep this Tennessee offense out of rhythm. How do you do that? You want to keep them cold? How do you do that? You keep them off the field, right? You run the ball. You move the change, you get first downs, you set up big play opportunities in the passing game, you hit those plays, you keep them off the field. You do not want to get into a shootout with Tennessee. I don't know that if we that we're going to win a shootout with Tennessee. If it's 52-49 again, I don't know that we win that game. I don't know that we do because that's what they do well. We don't want to play into their hands. We don't want to play their game. Guys, they are 14th in the SEC in time of possession because they go at an extraordinarily rapid rate. Time of possession usually is a very overrated statistic, but I think in a game like this, it can be very, very instructive on how a game is going to play out. They want to go fast. They want us to force the, They want to force us to play their game. They were able to force Bama to play their game. Bama kind of abandoned the run. They got down 18 points, 28-10. We lead the league right now in time of possession. Make them play our game. Make them play outside their comfort zone. All right, and then let's see how the chips fall. Let's let them fall how they fall. And if we do that, I th- we're a more talented team. We are a more talented overall team, roster 135, and there's zero questions about that. We just have to find ways to neutralize what they do well. And I think that, again, we do match up better with Tennessee. And I'll leave you with one last thought on Tennessee. I know the entire college ball world is going crazy with them. The hype train has gotten extraordinarily out of control. And understandably so, they did just beat Alabama. There's that. But let's also think about how that went down. Alabama set a Nick Saban era record with 17 penalties in that game. I do not know if I've ever seen Alabama, I cannot recall a time seeing a Nick Saban coached Alabama team, at least since 2000, what was it, 2006, his first year there. I can't recall, maybe 2007, I should take that back. But I cannot recall a Nick Saban 
Alabama team since that time, his first year in Tuscaloosa, play as poorly for a full half of football as I saw them play on Saturday against Tennessee. 17 penalties, debilitating special teams mistake, and they still almost won on the road in one of the most hostile environments they probably ever played. I mean, even Will Anderson himself, for some weird reason, was talking about how they had anxiety, which is the most unsaving thing I've ever heard in my life. It's the most unsaving Bama team thing I've ever heard, but he said it out loud. Just weird thing. But considering the context, Bama playing as poorly as they did, 17 freaking penalties on the road in a hostile environment, driven crazy with bloodlust, and Alabama still almost won that game. Tennessee still barely won that game. Alabama missed a field goal in that game, right? So yeah, Tennessee's good. I'm not telling you they're not. They are very, very, very good. But the context matters here, guys. The context matters. And I think you got to factor that in when that game in Athens will be played here in a couple of weeks. But that's just some early thoughts there, guys. We'll get into that a lot more in detail as that game approaches here in a couple of short weeks. And I do have two more games to get to before I get out of here today. We're going to get to the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs and the Kentucky Wildcats. Two row games to end SEC play for us. And obviously we end end the season with Georgia Tech at home. But we're just talking about SEC games right now, guys. Because, I mean, Tech sucks, right? Tech is Tech. Like, do you really want me to talk about them? I can if y'all want me to. Well, I'll do it. I'll do it. But I just don't know how many of you actually want that. But before we get to those last two games, let me remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, Alumni Hall has fall apparel coming in every single day. New stuff from Nike, from Peter Millar, Cutter and Buck, Johnny O, all the brands, all your favorite brands, whatever you prefer, it's coming in daily, guys. I'm checking it every single day because I'm, you know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Georgia gearaholic. That's kind of a problem for me, but I can't help myself. It's a good problem to have, right? It's a good problem to have. And Alumni Hall, they're, they're my go-to. They have been for a long time. I rack up a ton of free cash that I spend on future purchases with their Hall Pass Rewards program. There's no other retailer out there, guys, that sells Georgia gear that has anything like this. Hall Pass Rewards program for every $150 you spend in-store or online, doesn't matter, that you spend at Alumni Hall, then you get $10 to spend on future purchases. And I rack it up pretty quickly, guys, because again, I am a connoisseur of Georgia gear and I just cannot help myself. So make sure to stop in today in-store inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. Pick up some stuff for yourself for the for the fall, for your family, friends, whoever it might be. Alumni Hall has got you covered. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
All right, guys, let's get back to some football talk here. Let's move on to the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. Now, this is the game that I had circled as like the big trap game on our schedule coming into the year because there weren't a lot of people talking about Mississippi State. Their preseason win total was six and a half. I thought it was going to be an easy over them. I had them going eight and four. It looks like, you know, after losing to Kentucky over the weekend, 8-4 might be a reasonable record for them. they got Alabama coming up this week. They've got to go to Tuscaloosa. They're probably going to lose that game, right? So that would be their third loss. They've already lost to LSU and Kentucky last week. they got Auburn at home. They should beat Auburn at home. they got us at home. I'm hoping that's a loss. We'll get to that. And then they've got um, East Tennessee State should be a win in Ole Miss on the road. Ole Miss is going to be a tough game. They can win the game. I think Mississippi State easily could end up 8-4, probably 7-5 at worst at this point. But guys, I was really surprised that Mississippi State lost to Kentucky in Lexington last week. I know it was on the road. I know it was a night game. There's no shame in losing that game. They weren't blown out. But I was very surprised they lost that game. I felt very confident. I mean, on the pick show, I mean, I'll be, it was one of the picks I gave out. Mississippi State minus four. I put some a, a big chunk of money on that game and didn't win it. I actually came out slightly ahead, slight profit this past week. It wasn't my best gambling week, but I had some uh, some big ones that hit for me, had some upsets that, that hit for me and uh, kept it from being a losing week. But the pick that I was most surprised about was honestly Mississippi State. I, I, I thought clearly they were the better team than Kentucky, but they went into Lexington and they, it's weird, they dominated the first half, but they only had three points to show for us. Three nothing at halftime. I was three three at halftime. Kentucky went down, kicked the late field goal to tie it at three at three all to go into the half. But I mean, God, Mississippi State was—they were the ones that were kind of in control of that game. They just weren't finishing. They would move the ball a little bit and make a mistake here and there. And Kentucky just wasn't doing much of anything offensively in the first half. But Kentucky came out and they just kind of punched him in the mouth. They punched him in the mouth in the second half. Chris Rodriguez, I mean, Kentucky has had the worst rushing events in the league all year, guys. They were coming into that game averaging under 100 yards rushing. Chris Rodriguez ran for 196, just a hair under 200 yards in that game. And it was Chris Rodriguez, old school Kentucky style, just run physical right at them. And they really didn't have any answers. But what what surprised me the most in that game was how ineffective the Mississippi State passing game was. What Kentucky did was incredible, honestly. I've never seen that strategy taken that consistently to defend Mississippi State. Because when Mississippi State came to the league, or when Mike Leach got into the league at Mississippi State in 2020, the COVID year, remember that game at LSU? LSU was the defending national champ. They go into Baton Rouge and they throw all over him, right? Breaking records. KJ Costello setting records, right? And then they kind of face plan Because after that, everyone's like, okay, we're going to adjust. What we're going to do, because LSU was just like trying to light him up, blitzing after him, getting trying to pressure him. After that, everyone's like, we're just going to drop eight. We're going to rush three, drop eight, because we know you want to throw the football every down. We don't think you're going to be committed to the run game. And they had a lot of trouble with that in 2020. Fast forward to last year. This is a good team last year. They ended up, I think, what, they ended up with six and six in the regular season. Their statistical profile was that of basically like a nine and three, eight and four team. Like they were over 1200, plus 1200 in their total yardage margin last year, which means they outgained their opponents by over 1200 yards. They were a good football team that just made a lot of mistakes at critical moments, had really bad special teams, snafus, couldn't make field goals to save their lives. And this year it's a problem too. They missed four extra points already. And that, and that hurt them. That hurt them. But the pieces were in place. So that seemed to be much better. That's why I thought they were going to be better this year. And they have been. That's the reason they started off so hot to open this season. And there's one big misnomer about this version of Mike Leach's air raid offense. It is not the fun and gun air raid offense that you've seen from years past that people have this perception of. 
it has become a ball control offense because when teams drop eight, they're not explosive anymore. They're not hitting explosive plays. They paper cut you down the field. When teams started doing the drop eight stuff back in 2020, they were trying to force balls. They threw a lot of interceptions. And they were trying to do what they'd always done. And it took some time to adjust. Now they've come back and they're very content with taking checkdowns. Their running backs catch, you know, they, I think they both have like, I think over 50 catches already this season. Like it's crazy how many balls running backs catches catches little checkdowns. They run a bunch of short mesh route stuff. They're willing to take the underneath stuff and just get first downs, chew up clock, move their way down the field, and convert in the end zone. In fact, and they've been very very efficient inside the red zone. Uh, coming into the the um, Kentucky game, they had scored 14 consecutive touchdowns on red zone opportunities. So 14 times where they got in the red zone, they had scored touchdowns. That's how dynamic they've been in the red zone. And so they've been converting those opportunities. Well, they didn't do that against Kentucky. And they had a hard, and they'd, they'd also been running the football more consistently and willingly than they had in the past. And it's very simple. They count the numbers in the box. Will, Will Rogers, their quarterback, will tell you, I mean, in interviews, we count the box. If there are four or five guys only in the box, I'm checking to a run. I don't care what the play call is. I'm checking to a run. And they've been doing that pretty consistently this year. Dylan Johnson, and Jaquavius Marks have been really, really good. Woody Marks is what it goes by. But they've been really good for them running the football this year. So it's been kind of a different look, Mississippi State offense. But what Kentucky did, God, Mark Stoops, this is why I was wrong in that game. I just discounted Mark Stoops. I disrespected Mark Stoops and just discounted how good of a coach he is. And they understand what Mississippi State was trying to do. And they know, hey, if we got four or five in the box, they're going to check to a run and they're going to just paper cut us all the way down the field. So what they did is they tried to muddy up the reads and they went with a ton of simulated pressure. Oftentimes they were still only rushing three, but they were muddying up the reads and making it hard for Will Rogers, the quarterback, to determine, okay, how many guys are actually in the box? How many guys are going to stay in the box? How many guys are dropping the coverage? So he wasn't checking into runs. They ran for like 22 yards and they've been running the ball very well this season. And so that just really kept this Mississippi State offense off balance and they were still dropping eight a lot of times they were keeping them from hitting those big explosive plays and they did just enough offensively run the football made just enough plays to find a way to win that game based off what i've seen this year though i still think mississippi state is the better football team i know it's hard to say that with a straight face because they just lost to kentucky right but it was at night on the road and they also were defended away they hadn't really seen much of so it was kind of new to them right so they didn't have a chance to adjust that i think if they if these teams lined up and played a neutral site 10 times 10 weeks in a row. I think Mississippi State probably wins six or seven of those games. I think they're a better football team. I really do. But they didn't win this game. And the better football team doesn't always win. But doesn't mean it's not going to be a challenge for us. I do think that Miss that Kentucky might have shown us a way to defend them more effectively. I think we might have seen that. I'm not saying teams haven't used simulated pressure against Mississippi State. They have, but just not the way that Kentucky did. And guys, when I say simulated pressure, I know most of you probably know what I'm talking about, but just in case that, that term isn't familiar to you, what I, what I mean by simulated pressure is it's what we do a lot of, right? Kirby's one of the forerunners of using this. When I say he's an innovator, he's, this is one of those things where you, you walk your linebackers up, you walk your outside linebackers up, you walk your, your star defenders up in the box, and you don't know who's coming, where they're coming from. Guys drop, guys come all sorts of different things. It makes it tough for the quarterback to determine like what is the box count? What is the actual box count? Who At, at the snap, who's going to be in the box? And that made it really tough on Mississippi State. So I think that might have given us some clues. Still going to be a really tough game though. Coming off the Tennessee game, you know, I talk about, I still think it's kind of a trap game, um, especially if they lose a couple games here and the record's not as good. I was hoping that, that they would go into that game with like two losses, you know, so that it would have our guys' attention. But kind of like Florida, coming off the Tennessee game, whatever happens there, I do have some current concerns that the Mississippi State game is still going to be a trap game. That's a good. That team is a good enough team to beat us on the road, and maybe a night game. We don't know if we aren't focused, just like Florida. And just the novelty of playing a team 
that is just different offensively. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have air raid, most teams have air raid principles built into them. Our offense has air raid principles built into them, but a full on like legit air raid team, it's just different, man. It's just, you play defense a different way and it's just tough to prepare for. It really is. So that's a game that I'm, I'm still concerned about. I've been concerned about that game all year long, going to Starkville, the Cowbells clanging. That's going to be an interesting one. And then finally, the Kentucky Wildcats. I still don't think Kentucky's very good, guys. I don't think they're very good. I think Chris Rodriguez coming back helps them because, again, they were dead last in the league in rushing, under 100 yards a game coming in last week. Chris Rodriguez goes off for almost 200 yards. And uh, that was his, what, third or fourth game back. And so obviously him not being in the, on the roster, like in, in, in game action, being suspended for the first four games, that hurt the rushing attack. But even then back for a couple of games, he wasn't he wasn't like instantly fixing things for the rushing attack. But against Mississippi State, they got things back on track. Will Levis is who Will Levis is. He's a fierce competitor, tough, physical guy, hard to get down. He'll run the ball at times. He's kind of banged up right now. Um, he's tough. He's a really tough guy. And uh, he's got a good arm. He's got all the physical tools you could want. But Accuracy is an issue at times. He'll put the ball in harm's way and and throw it into double coverage and throw into windows he should not be throwing into. But he's a guy that can help them make plays. But it's all it all goes back to the running game for them offensively. And uh, Chris Rodriguez is good, but I, this is I know it's in Lexington. Could very well be a night game. And I'm I mean I love going to Lexington, guys. It's one of my favorite road trips to go on. And it's an underrated environment. I know people, they get a bad rap as football fans. Like, hey, it's Kentucky basketball, right? Like, when's basketball season start? Like, they care, guys. Mark Stoops has made them care about, about football. Like, they're into it. And when Georgia comes to town, they're always into it. And that's going to be no different this year. It's going to be a tough environment. I said that was going to be, you know, I had that ranked as the toughest game on the schedule to enter the season when I did that episode back in July because it was the tail end, the very last game of this long stretch run to end the SEC. We had the toughest teams on our schedule. I know what lessons can, can be like. I, I have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops and he put that on full display in that game against Mississippi State. We are clearly more talented than them, just like we are Mississippi State. That That's not remotely a question, but they're very well coached. It's on the road at night, the tail end of a, of a tough stretch. Team could be worn out. Team could be tired. We're still the defending national champion, highly ranked team. We'll see what we're ranked at that point, knock on wood. Hopefully number one, but you don't know. You just don't know, knock on wood. But that has all the makings to be a tough game, even though I just don't think they're that good. I had them going, look at my sheet. I had them going six and six. I had them going six and six in the regular season. I had them losing to Florida. They won that game. Um, I had them losing at Ole Miss. They lost that game. I had them losing to South Carolina at home. They lost that game. I had them losing to Mississippi State. They won that game. I had them losing to Tennessee. I think they're going to lose to Tennessee. We'll see. Mark Stoops, I don't want to discount the guy. Don't want to disrespect him. He's a great coach. I had them winning at Missouri, at Vanny, losing to us. So honestly, right now, it looks like Kentucky might end up going like 8-4. and four. So they're going to be a couple games better than I thought they would be. Um, they, By virtue of beating Florida and uh and beating Mississippi State, two games that I did not think that they would win. And that's that's Mark Shoops, man. That's Mark Shoops. That's my bad for not giving him enough respect. I try to respect him. I intellectually respect him. But, you know, when the roster looked like, like it did come into the season, lost some of the pieces they lost on defense. And they're fine on defense. They're still not great on defense. But they're just extraordinarily well coached, man. And they talk about culture. They have built a really, really good culture there. So that's going to be a tough game. And they're not going to make it easy on us. They never really do. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. Just some some early thoughts on these games, the rest of the SEC games down the stretch of the 2022 football season. I'll go into a lot more detail, guys. You know how I'll do. I'll give you the deep dives with our official game previews for each of these games. But I want to jump on here and give you guys some early thoughts because I got a lot of questions about them over the past couple of days. And I figured you guys might be interested to hear some of those thoughts. But I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being here. I know it's the bye week, but we don't go dark on bye weeks. The team might take some time off, but we aren't taking any time off. And Charlie will be back with me to wrap things up this week. 
with our week, what are we, week eight? Week eight picks of the week, the bye week, picks of the week, whatever week we're on. We'll have some more winners for you guys this week. Just make sure to do your part and sign up for a new account at MyBookie using the promo code UGA. Thank you for being here, guys. Love you. Appreciate you. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.